We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, Rotoviz Radio listener. This is Curtis Patrick from the Dynasty Command Center podcast, and I've got a special deal for you today. Go to rotoviz.com, click the subscribe button, put the 12-month subscription in your cart, and use promo code RVRADIO2021. That's RVRADIO2021. And you're going to save 10%. Taking advantage of this deal, getting your hands on what's included in the package is the best way to enhance your performance this year. So go to rotoviz.com and subscribe now. We're talking quarterback ranges of outcomes on Rotoviz Radio. What's up, Rotoviz? Welcome back to Rotoviz Radio. I'm Dave Cabin, senior fantasy analyst at Rotoviz, joined by Matthew Friedman of Fantasy Labs and the Action Network. On today's episode, we are talking about the range of outcomes tool, which Matt, I have exciting news for you. Okay. I uh, have included playoff games in this year's version of the tool, which I know is something that oh. you've been asking for for a long time. That's exciting. Yes. Um, are playoff games also included in other tools? Uh, that is something that uh, is not been addressed yet, but <laughs> <laughs> that may come okay. at some point. Um, okay. Not, not in this case, though. And I will say I had been talking about the possibility of having an option for people to include or exclude playoff games. Um yeah. But what I decided on was, and and from looking at the numbers, it really wasn't going to make a big difference. Also, when we keep in mind that, you know, there's not 
a lot of teams that make the playoffs and play substantial games. So it actually wasn't worth my time, at least yet, to build in some type of option that would allow for people to do that um, for a couple of ways of how things are built. But I think that, you know, you can make a compelling case for players that were in the playoffs and those teams as to why you would want to see it. So the playoff games are in there, though, and they're also in the stats that help drive the comps. So uh, you can rest assured now those are in there. Well, that is awesome. And I just want to say uh, I apologize in advance because I know talking about the range of outcomes is always one of like the least uh, enjoyable things that you do when we're on a podcast together, yeah. because I, I always ask you questions that uh, kind of put you in a corner. So just apologies in advance. For All right. That. I appreciate that. Now I'm going to, in advance of us talking, remind you, Matt, and the listeners out there that the final numbers I'm showing on the site are stripping out players from the real high percentages to get out outliers. So I believe last year we were looking at a certain receiver and Calvin Johnson popped up in his comps and you were very adamant that Calvin Johnson should not be there, um, to which I said, well, the math would support it. But if you don't like his numbers getting in there, it turned out that he was getting filtered out of the output anyway. Um, from like the high that was displaying because, you know, it kind of picked him up as the type right. of player you wouldn't include. By the way, I think the player we were talking about was Stefan Diggs. So uh, maybe I was just incredibly wrong. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it also goes back to the idea of what we've talked about before, which is I actually am not including physical attributes in these tools because it holds back um, getting the proper stats aligned that are going to be more predictive of scoring right. than getting the yeah. biophysical profile matched up. So uh super quick overview here, because we've talked about it a lot on the show and I have like a ton of articles that walk through the process. Um, but if you have a road of sub, which you should go to the range of outcomes tool. And I have a link to a really in-depth article that I did last year. That's going to break down how the tool works. But basically what it does is it looks at a player's last two seasons giving more emphasis to his most recent season, looks at the important stats that are going to help me kind of predict um, the scoring that a player might be able to produce in the coming season by matching that player with historical players, seeing how those historical players did. Uh, in a very technical sense, more of what I'm doing is just clustering like players. Um, it's not a regression type of analysis, which is trying to predict some output. Um, my prediction are just coming from seeing how the comps did in their year and plus one season, a couple minor mm -hmm. tweaks for this year. I, um, had to add in a little something that if a player has been in the league for 10 plus years, makes his experience less weighted. The reason for that is we're seeing guys like Tom Brady, Drew Brees, um, Aaron Rodgers, Matt Ryan play so many years that any of the older players, you just end up with all of their comps, including them. And then just like every Aaron Rodgers, every Tom Brady, every old Peyton Manning season, Ben Roethlisberger. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yep. So that was one of the tweaks. And then also this year I built in like, um, some logic that is going to tell it to figure out if the quarterback profiles as a rushing passer. And then, um, it weights the different stats differently for, for rushers. You might have that's some questions on that. Yep. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. And, and the biggest reason for that is that um, with the way that scoring kind of changed last year and things are looking to trend, it's really hard to build a model that's going to adequately emphasize the traits that you would have from 
passers that score a lot of points with their legs. So, yeah, I mean, can we can we talk about that a little bit? Yeah, we can talk about whatever you think is going to be interesting for people. Yes, I think what will be interesting for people is me uh, attacking you. So, <laughs> so, but let's. So, I'm just looking at it now. You open up the range of outcomes, and the quarterback that it defaults to, at least for me when I opened it up, was Kyler Murray. Yep. And so, I just want to kind of ask some questions about him because I think one, he will be a player that people are really interested in. Yep. Uh, you know, because he has that rushing ability. Um, he has the potential to be, you know, like a top three fantasy quarterback. Uh, he was pretty close to it last year. Uh, and so, you know, if he progresses even just a little bit more, um, I wouldn't say like he'd be a league winner, but like he'd be something pretty close to it. Uh, so he's, he's interesting. And he is that, you know, rushing quarterback who I think is harder to create models for or ranges of outcomes for, uh, or, uh, like comp groups for, yep. and that's the big thing. So I'm looking at him and I'm imagining that this is broken out on a per game basis. Yep. And so for 2021 per game range of outcomes, 28 yards, that is way too low. And yep. I'm assuming it's based on the comp group and the comp group has in there Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady and uh, like Kirk Cousins. Like those guys do not belong in a comp group with Kyler Murray. And like that is dragging down his his realistic rushing yardage that he's going to have next year. Right. Um, I, I, I should point out, though, for people. So the closest matches are a lot of Cam Newton seasons. You have Deshaun Watson, Russell Wilson, Lamar Jackson, Robert Griffin, Josh Allen, Tyrod Taylor, Russell Wilson. Those are the closest comps. Um, the problem that you have, though, Matt, is that now a lot of these guys that are getting a lot of rushing production are also doing pretty decent as passers. And there's just not a lot of precedent for that. Um, so actually, Kyler Murray is the single player that I was having the most trouble um, with when I was looking at the results of things that I was trying yeah. because I was making tweaks and trying out different things. And I knew I was making improvements, but it was frustrating because there's a couple of points where like Murray just wasn't scoring as high as I thought he should. Um, and then I had to go back and just kind of like pour through what was going on with him. Um, I do agree. He's one of those players where um, I think that he's super hard to model and I will probably like him more than if you look at the historical distribution scores, which is the like method I've developed for encompassing a player's total distribution or his like total range of outcomes into one number in that system. He, um, does okay. He ties for, um, you know, like around like sixth ish. But, uh, the other thing that makes him super challenging is there's just not enough quarterbacks that run for, um, as many touchdowns as he did. You know what I mean? Like last year, it felt like he was running for at least one touchdown a game. You just don't see that enough. So he's really, really, really hard to comp. I mean, he was at 0.7 rushing touchdowns per game. Um, if you look at his comps, right, the only other player that's getting close to that is Cam Newton. Um, how many, sorry, how many players, um, let me rephrase this. So, um, you know, 28 
rushing yards is the median, it looks like, for his per-game range of outcomes. How many players go into that? 50. 50. 50. Yeah. And so here's it's, t- here's, it's tough. So for a player like Kyler Murray, that, yeah. that is too many because there just aren't that many comparable players. Yeah. And um, like, for example, like Cam Newton in 2015, who's his closest player, had 39 rushing yards in 2015. But then in his match in 2016, he only put up 24 games. So like his closest match went down. Um, yeah. You know, it, it, it is really hard. And then I guess some people might question, well, like, why don't you truncate it down then? And that's because we're talking about a player that's kind of an outlier. For most of the players in the model, you're actually helped by having 50 players. Yeah, right. That that makes a lot of sense. Yep. Okay. So that was Kyler Murray. Um, I guess, though, there are any other questions based on the methodology or just understanding or, you know, I always worry that these discussions are more or like boring for people, but then I get feedback from people saying that it's actually interesting. So if there's more that you have questions like that, feel free to do it. Uh, no, that was, that was a good answer. And by the way, I should say, uh, Tom Brady is not in the comp group. I was looking literally at the, the wrong tab here. Uh, so good answer. Yes. Like all of the people who match, I'm looking at this, all the people who match for Kyler Murray, Makes sense. Oh, okay. Like, uh, so yes. So then you can detract Kirk Cousins because he's not in there. Right. Um, those yes, yes, yes. Disregard the players that yeah. Matt said. Yes, disregard the players that Matt said. All like the the comp group looks good. If I had to come up with a comp group, like these are the players I would put in the comp group. It's just that, as you say, uh, because Kyler Murray is such an outlier, like the comp group still cannot really accurately reflect what the what the true range of outcomes for Kyler Murray is next year. Yeah, definitely. So there was a couple of players that I wanted to look at in detail, but let's take a, a quick break before we do that. Hey, everyone. Before we get started, I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
will help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is, you can get all of this for only $15 a month. The same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports podcasting experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com slash join. Check out the description box for this episode to find out more, but that's bwhustle.com slash join. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters, the more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. Okay, so the first player I wanted to talk about in specific, Matt, was Justin Herbert coming off an absolutely phenomenal rookie season um just to put it into perspective again 35 passes a game 253 passing yards 1.7 passing touchdowns uh 20 rushing yards 0.18 rushing touchdowns oh sorry i was reading off his projection the 2020 stat line that he had was uh 289 passing yards a game 2.1 touchdowns also um 0.3 rushing touchdowns 25 plus fantasy points a game an absolutely phenomenal rookie season i think people might be interested to know the type of players that he comps to after that first season the closest match was andrew luck in his third year and then patrick mahomes in his third year the third closest match is wild but blake bortles in 2015 actually had a good season he pops in there yeah then you have Aaron Rodgers, and I should say it feels like an odd comp. It's Aaron Rodgers in his 12th season, but that's because the stats actually were like identical. And then after that, another Andrew Luck, Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers. You see Deshaun Watson in there. Uh, And I just wanted to bring up these names because for a player that's a quarterback as a rookie to hit some of these matches, it just speaks to how tremendous he really was as a rookie and then it also puts him into this range where he is right there with guys like Deshaun Watson, Kyler Murray and Josh Allen. I'm not sure how excited people will be for him by the time September rolls around, but I think that it's very likely we see him going a little bit later than these guys in the range of outcomes app would tell you that you're going to be getting a player who has a very similar range of outcomes. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I mean, he does have Daniel Jones 2019 uh, in his top 10, Andy Dalton 2013 at number 11, Ryan Fitzpatrick 2018 at number 14, Marcus Mariota uh, in 2015 at number 17. So, like, he does have some guys that you're like, okay, that's not incredibly exciting. Yep. So, it's not – you know, obviously it's not a lock that Herbert has a better season this next year than he did as a rookie. It's not even a lock that he has as good of a season. But you look at all of the other names who are near the top of his comp group, and they are elite names. 
And part of that speaks to how awesome Herbert was last year. Part of it, I think, also speaks to um, the change in the NFL, right? So it's just, I think it's a little bit easier because of defensive rules and then also just the pace at which offenses are playing. And maybe some of it had to do with, you know, COVID circumstances this past year. But some of it is maybe that it's just a little bit easier to be a quarterback in the NFL now versus Andrew Luck in 2012 when he was a rookie, right? Or Patrick Mahomes, uh, even like three years ago, 2018, uh, in his first season as a starter, Deshaun Watson in 2017. I think it's maybe just a little bit easier to be a quarterback now, but that really shouldn't take away from how awesome Justin Herbert was last year. Yeah, I think those are really fair points. Now, another thing that um, is interesting to look at is in the tool, you can look at the year-over-year change, which is going to graph out um, either the decrease or increase in points from year-end to year-end plus one for all of the comps. Uh, now, Herbert's, the majority of them fall. And this is what you tend to see with players that performed very well in one year. It's very hard to sustain your like elite performance, even for players that are really good. Um, so you're going to see that in the tool. And a lot of that goes to, for example, like the running backs that score really well. Um, it's hard to be efficient year over year. So you're going to see that their matches struggle to improve their points. Or like, you know, if you're like a, a top level running back and you scored, you know, 25 plus points, how many players are even going to score 25 plus points? So it's kind of that idea. But I bring this up because if you look at a player like, Joe Burrow, the other really key rookie passer, we actually see a lot of his players improving. So his 2021 projection puts him at 242 yards per game, 1.7 passing touchdowns, 20 rushing yards, almost uh, 0.2 rushing touchdowns a game. He has a pretty wide range, though, Matt, a low of around 16 points, a high of around 26. One of the highest highs that you're going to see overall that puts him with a pretty competitive HDS. People might be curious about his matching players. Uh, you see Andrew Luck's rookie season, Jameis Winston's rookie season, Daniel Jones' rookie season, and Dak Prescott's rookie season, and then Blake Bortles' third year in there, um, followed by another Andrew Luck, then Kyler Murray's year one, and then Dak Prescott's year three. So he has a really interesting mix, especially because that group of players are his closest comps. Yeah, it's it's interesting if you look at the year over year change uh, and just at that, you might be tempted to think like, okay, Joe Burrow has more upside, like theoretical upside uh, versus Justin Herbert, because all of the guys who kind of go into the range of outcomes and they're in plus one year, you have a much more even distribution uh, than we see with Justin Herbert. But like that is very misleading if you look just at that one graph. Because obviously, as you mentioned, last year Herbert had like around 25 points per game. Burrow had around 21 points per game. And we are still, based on the range of outcomes here, looking at Burrow having 20.3 points per game this next year and Herbert having around 21 points per game. And then Herbert's, uh, in the range of outcomes, his high is 25.5 with Joe Burrow. Um, it's around that same neighborhood, but, you know, like the median is not going to be as strong. Yeah, exactly. And um, the distribution for Burrow is very skewed. It's highly concentrated below 
Well, I shouldn't say there's a much more significant concentration below that 20 point mark. So though he does have players that are going up pretty high, there are fewer of them in comparison to Herbert. So I would argue that overall Herbert has more upside. And this kind of hits upon a point that I tried to write a lot about last year, which was I think that it's easy to think about upside wrong. Like upside isn't a player's 100th percentile range of outcomes. I prefer to view a player's upside as like the concentra- like where the concentrations of players that are between maybe like the 75th percentile and the 90th percentile are. Uh, like just looking at that absolute max, I think can be misleading. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, an interesting thing, Matt, is that Tom Brady scores really, really well. And some of this goes back to what I talked about earlier, which is there's only so many players that you can match a player like Brady with. And that's even after I try to do some things where I'm controlling for the experience. Uh, And some of that's because the younger players aren't uh, getting get comped to guys like Brady or Breeze or Rogers, you know, uh, because of the way that they're producing those points. Not to say that Rogers has never produced with his feet, but, um, his more recent seasons that hasn't been as much of his game. So Brady gets matched to like 2015 Brady, 2018 breeze, 2013 breeze, 2018, Matt Ryan, some Brady Roethlisberger, Brady, Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers, Carson Palmer. Uh, So he does really well, really well, actually. Um, And I'm inclined to say that this is one of those projections. I wouldn't really be totally on board with where I would probably tell people that they might be, the, to be prudent, I would recommend they fade this one a little bit. Do you do you agree with that, or do you think it's possible that this distribution is representative of what we could see from Brady, given that he's continued to play at a decent level, uh, started playing much stronger down the playoffs, and it's still an offense that uh, was starting to click, and with more time with Mike Evans and some of these other talented guys, Brady could move forward. So Brady had around 24 points per game last year in the range of outcomes you're projecting him for uh 21.2 which is actually higher than uh justin herbert uh by just a little bit uh herbert has 21 like that feels um like it could happen it feels a little bit wrong you know what i mean like i would not i would prefer herbert over brady i would because Yeah, in part because Herbert, I don't think Brady's going to do much better than he did next year, right? Like, he might do a little bit better, but he's probably not going to do much better. And, like, regardless of how great he is, like, you know at some point he's going to drop off, and that drop-off might happen this next year. Like, there is significant downside that Brady has. Whereas with Herbert, there's room for him to be – even as great as he was last year, like there's room for him to be significantly better in year two. Um, And he's probably not going to be all that much worse than he was last year. Even if Herbert takes a little bit of a step back, I think it's going to be just a little bit of a step because he also does have like that kind of underappreciated rushing ability where I think he has a little bit of a higher floor. So uh, even though you would look at the the median, you'd look at the range of outcomes, and it would point you towards Brady, I don't think that fully captures the risk that Brady has relative to someone like Herbert. 
Yeah, I completely agree. And the other thing is, um, especially with a player like Brady, I don't think it's going to be able to capture the falling off. And that goes back to for some, somehow these players like him have managed to really keep it together. Um, you know, and even if their stats aren't tremendous, they're good enough that it can paint a decent picture when you look at that distribution. I also want to talk about Jared Goff because we had talked about how, um, you know, enthusiasm should, enthusiasm for him should really be waning. He does not do very well at all in the range of outcomes, and the tool does not know that he is no longer going to be in... <laughs> Right. In LA. Yeah. So like this is one of those if somebody doesn't know this tool and they're looking at it, they'd probably be like, okay, you know, they don't like Jared Goff. He's going uh, you know, somewhere around like QB thirty. They must really not like his situation in Detroit. No. This tool does not know that Jared Goff has left Detroit and it's still expecting a really bad season. Um so I just wanted to point that out. Now, the key question that I have for you, Matt, is if you look at the historical distribution score, Dak Prescott sits atop every other player in 2021. Um, very solid distribution. This shouldn't be surprising. Prescott averaged 32 points per game in the five games that he played in 2020. The highest total that you are going to find for a quarterback ever um, in his average. So needless to say, this tool loves him. What I want to know from you, Matt, is how aberrant were those five games? If the season had continued, how drastically do you think that we would have seen things level out for Prescott? And the final point I want to make before you answer is, if people think that it's because he played a soft schedule, he didn't. In that time, in those five games, he actually played what ended up being like the third or fifth, I want to say, most difficult quarterback schedule in our metrics. Yeah, that's... Yeah, as you pointed out, like that's the thing that was so weird about it. You know, games against LA, against the Rams, um, the Giants ended up having a pretty decent defense. Um, you know, he's going against the Browns early in the year when they had, you know, more of a, uh, a healthy defense. It was not easy going for him, and he still ended up just crushing it. You know, part of it was the Dallas defense was so bad that the offense had to uh, just continually push. But part of that is also, I think, just the style of the offense that I think they wanted to play with. Um, so I think there would have been something of a fall off. Like there, there would have had to have been regression. Like he's just not going to average 32 points per game across an entire season. But I mean, 25 feels like a floor. I mean, even you think of Aaron Rodgers in some of his classic MVP seasons or, you know, Patrick Mahomes in his 2018 season, he had around like 29 points per game. Like Prescott, I mean, if he's playing an easier defensive schedule in the remaining 11 games of the season, even if the offense isn't pressing quite as hard, he would still be able to put up a lot of points given a, his rushing ability, uh, I would almost say like B, the fact that uh, Ezekiel Elliott wasn't quite as good, so they were just going to lean a little bit more on the passing game than they had in previous seasons. Uh, and then C, like all of the receiving weapons that he had around him. I mean, I think Prescott maybe last year and this year has, if it's not the best trio of wide receivers in the league, like it's pretty close to it. Um, 
So you put all of that together. I think what he did last year, you know, you regress down a little bit to let's say like 28 or 29 points, 27 maybe, but like that feels probably where he would have landed and you project him moving forward for the 2021 season. I mean, I know that looking at the range of outcomes, 21.1, like that's his median, but I think that, I don't know. Like, I think that's a little bit low. It it is. It feels low. It it is. And I'll explain why. Um, One of the challenges is that quarterbacks have been steadily scoring more points, um, you know, over the last 10 seasons. Um, you know, we saw big jumps last year. So that's also hard to model in. So it's one of the reasons why you almost have to look at these quarterbacks relative to each other um, because there's it's definitely like uh, there's some lag there in getting the points yeah. up to where they are. But yeah, I, I 100% agree with that, Matt. Can I ask you a question? And it's embarrassing that I don't know this, but yep. HDS, what does that stand for? Okay, yeah, that's historical distribution score, okay. which is yes. okay. my mathematical way of encompassing the range of outcomes. Um, it dings players for having um, matches that went under 10 points. Um, you're kind of held flat if you had matches that were between 10 and 15, and then incrementally you get more points for um, matches in you know other buckets within ranges of five. So if you had like eight players that went between 25 and 30, you could offset having some bad, bad matches in there and actually end up scoring better than a player that just had like all matches around like 15 to 20. Mm -hmm. Can I ask a a question about how you think this tool should best be used? Because like Patrick Mahomes is number one, right? Like he's the number one quarterback in ADP. And I think that makes a lot of sense. You know, you can maybe make arguments for other players, but I'd say at a minimum, he's, he's in the top three. Yep. Um, but if you look at HDS, Holmes is behind a number of guys. Even if you look at uh, the median fantasy points, he's behind a number of players. How do you think someone should use this tool in a way that, makes sense given that Mahomes I think makes sense to be number one in ADP at the position but isn't popping within the range of outcomes yeah so great question the way that I interpret the output is I use it to get a sense of which players realistically are kind of grouped together and if there is a tremendous amount of differentiation so when you look at the high for a guy like Mahomes, you know, it moves him up to four. But what you're seeing is there's still players like Kyler Murray, like Justin Herbert, for example, Dak Prescott, that reasonably could score as many points. And, you know, maybe I personally would assign Mahomes maybe the highest ceiling this year. But what my takeaway is when I look through all of these numbers is Mahomes might not be as much of a unicorn as some people might want to think. And I take away that there's maybe six or seven guys that are going to be very good producers at the quarterback position on the tool's expectation. So if I'm looking to get a player that fits that profile, those are the guys that I can be considering. And if I were in a draft and I said, I need to leave the draft with one of these guys, once the fourth goes and there's only three left, then I start seriously thinking about the position. It's a little bit hard, I feel like, with quarterback to kind of contextualize it, but I also think it helps you build some tier breaks in the other positions 
And I also think that um, what I will use it for is in best ball leagues at positions like running back and wide receiver, try to find players that have a higher concentration of players in the high sections of their distribution than, than, than I would expect or than is reflected in ADP. Mm, that's interesting. Okay, so I'm looking, I'm sorting by um, high range of outcomes here. Yep. And so, like on the one hand, someone could look at this, see that Joe Burrow is literally number one with 25.9 and just say like, okay, well, this is ridiculous. Or they could look at it and be like, okay, this means that I probably want to be invested in Joe Burrow this year. Where, like, how, how do you fall on the spectrum there? Like yep. as someone who's creating the tool and, you know, has a methodology that you're applying, when you see that Joe Burrow is number one, do you look at this and are you like, uh, I screwed up, I need to adjust what I'm doing? Or do you look at that and you're like, okay, this is really interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, what I would say to that is, um, like I always say, no model is going to get every player right. I do believe that if you use its output consistently and you use it enough, you're going to be closer to its expectations than um, maybe you otherwise would. Uh, So I guess what I'm saying, that might sound confusing, but what I'm saying is if you consistently apply it, I do think that you get a pretty good result, even if there's certain players that it gets wrong. Because I can say that, you know, within X amount of time, players are going to come within X amount of, you know, points. Um, And like the, the, between the low and the high, um, you're going to get a very good concentration of players falling in between where those cutoff points are. But if you're questioning a specific player like Joe Burrow, I would go and I would look at the list of comps and I would see, all right, it's got Andrew Luck, Jameis Winston, Daniel Jones, Blake Bortles, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Josh Freeman, Marcus Mariota, Andy Dalton, these players in their early seasons. Does that feel right? And like in my perspective, I would say that's a somewhat mixed bag. I don't think that's overly optimistic. I think that feels okay. And then I look at their performance and I see... Uh, you know, like what is driving some of that? So like one of his highs is Cam Newton from the like 2014, 2015 period. Maybe I reject that. Maybe I see a Russell Wilson. I reject that. And I kind of work <clears throat> through like that. Like there's a Deshaun Watson in there um, as well. That are some of those highs. Um, but, you know, there's also an Andrew Luck that had a very good season. Uh-huh. You know, so like you kind of have to look at it like that. The final thing I will say on this is, I play in a lot of leagues. When I see a result like this for Joe Burrow, I'm not going to write it off entirely. Maybe what I say to myself is if I was going to have Joe Burrow on two out of 15 teams, maybe now I'll be more open to having him on three or four. Yeah, I, I think that's right. You you adjust the exposure within the portfolio. Um, one final question here on Taysom Hill. Yep. Because he might end up being a pretty intriguing player. You know, like there's a chance that he's the quarterback who ends up starting for the Saints this next year and and not Jameis Winston or someone else. And, uh, you know, Taysom Hill, uh, intriguing because of his skill set. I'm imagining that that also makes him really hard to create a comp group for, especially because he was playing some games when he wasn't the starter. So I'm imagining you have to weed those games out and focus just on the games when he was playing quarterback. Of course, that means you're focusing on not all that many games. Um, What are your overall thoughts on Hill? 
So my overall thoughts on Hill, <laughs> like if we step outside of a range of outcomes type of perspective, and I just think about what he might be able to do as the quarterback of the Saints, if he were being used consistently as a quarterback, and I actually think that he ends up being a player I'm probably going to project somewhere between maybe like quarterback 13 to quarterback 18, because it feels like there will be enough ways in which the team will allow him to accrue fantasy production. I think as a passer, he might be able to add just enough that it makes him relevant. Um, I will not be expecting him to have the type of performance that I think somebody like Jalen Hurts could have. And that's because I think that Jalen Hurts can also pass it decently enough. I'm not really sure what to expect from Hill. Uh, I mean, that's a really loaded question. The players that he comps to, you know, it's going to be basically all like Mike Vick, Colin Kaepernick, Tyrod Taylor, Cam Newton, Dak Prescott, Russell Wilson, Tyrod Taylor. So even if you look at the type of players like him, you know, these are type of guys where there was lots of seasons where I didn't really know what to do with them. Uh, you just listed all of those players, and uh, that makes me really interested in Taysom Hill. <laughs> you know, like all, all of the guys you just mentioned, it's like, yep, yeah, that sounds pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I guess, like, very honestly, Matt, you know, the interesting thing is I do remember, and yes, I watch a lot of football, so sometimes I feel like I can at least have an opinion. But as I've said, I'm not a film watcher that really knows what they're doing. I did actually think that Taysom Hill was, like, decent at BYU. Um, but it's been so long from there to really try to, at least for me, prognosticate what it would look like if he's a full-time quarterback. I don't know, because also if he is playing quarterback full-time, how does that impact the gadget type of things that he's going to be able to do? I would assume that it impacts the efficiency there, but I do think, you know, it's a coaching staff that has proven they've been able to stay relevant for a very long time, do some creative things. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, it's worth pointing out in his four games as a starter, uh, at quarterback, he had 52.3 yards rushing per game. Like, wasn't much as a passer. And I think that is the kind of thing we would expect moving forward, that it would be a fairly limited passing offense, but he would actually still be able to do a lot as a runner. And, I mean, I think that puts him as a QB1, okay. like, to be honest, if, if he's the starter. like I think he's someone I would want as a late-round quarterback who has that upside to finish in the top 12. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's possible. Um, let me just ask you one question, though. Players that he gets matched to, like Watson, Vic, Kaepernick, Tyrod Taylor, Cam, um, Kaepernick, maybe even Marcus Mariota, Dak Prescott, do you think that if you look at those passers – his ability to throw the ball comes anywhere close to those guys. And I'm not, I'm not trying to bias that by saying that there's no, no way no, it does. I, I was curious. No, I, you were saying, I mean, Colin Kaepernick is uh, in two of the 10 closest comps. Like, yeah. Colin Kaepernick was not a great passer. Uh, Mike Vick, 2013 is the number two comp. Vic was not a great passer, was passing for 172 yards per game. Like that feels very much like Taysom Hill. Yeah. Uh, and it's easier, you know, it, it kind of gets back to some of the conversations we had about Lamar Jackson before his MVP season. Like it's easier now for a running quarterback to pass in the NFL than it was when Vic was breaking into the league. Uh, you know, so I, I do think even though he's not clearly he's not 
uh, a great comp next to someone like Dak Prescott, like Deshaun Watson. Like yep. those guys are much better passers. I'd even say uh, Cam Newton is on the higher end as a passer uh, relative to Taysom Hill, but maybe he'll develops into someone who is close to Newton as a passer. But even if it's just, oh, he's he's comparable to Vic as a passer or comparable to Colin Kaepernick or comparable to Tyrod Taylor, 2016 Tyrod Taylor's number four on his comp list, 200 yards passing per game. Like that feels right up there with Taysom Hill in terms of what we would expect from him. So uh, yeah, like I think even Josh Allen in 2019, 197 yards per game, like that feels like something that Taysom Hill could do. And as long as he's getting, uh, you know, like the 40 to 50 rushing yards per game with, you know, like half a rushing touchdown per game, that's going to be the difference. Yeah. So time will tell. Um, can I ask one final question on this though? For the offensive players in New Orleans, would you rather see Jameis or would you rather see Taysom? I'd rather see Jameis. Me too. You know, like yep. if it's if it's Taysom, like it's just Taysom, and and then maybe Michael Thomas. Uh, if Taysom is targeting only Michael Thomas, right? But if it's Jameis, that unlocks the entire offense. So I'm I'm hoping it's Jameis. I have no idea whether it's going to be him or Taysom Hill. Yeah, that I think is one of the uh, storylines that I'm going to be trying to pay a lot of attention to as somebody that's planning on playing a high volume of best ball teams this year, too. Because uh, it's going to, you know, that impacts if you're trying to get exposure to Jameis, which I want to try to do some of, um, you know, before there's more people thinking that he's going to start as it relates to like Jared Cook, other players that, uh, you know, you might be thinking about in the organization. Anyway. That is going to do it for today's episode. You can reach us at rotovizradio at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at DaveKabenFF and at MattFTheOracle. Thanks to Rotoviz and Blue Wire Hustle for sponsoring the show. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. And as always, remember, it's not a fantasy if you believe it.